I'd like to take a moment just to pray over our offerings, and then we'll get uh, right into our uh, Easter morning service and our Easter morning uh, sermon. Heavenly Father, I come before you, and I thank you right now. Father, for all the blessings and all the uh, wonderful things that you do for us, that you give to us because of your great love for us. Father, we would like to take this opportunity, Lord, to be uh, responsible and be a good steward, Father God, of those things and return back to you a portion of what you've allowed us to have, Father God. And I just want to praise you and thank you for those that want to make that commitment to uh, see to it that our missions uh, account is uh, being blessed so that we can reach out into the community, reach out to uh, those that uh, are maybe a, a far off, Father God. I know that we also have a, a, a children's ministry, Father God, that we need to maintain uh, that account as well so that the children will have all those things they need to learn about God and to uh, further their education about the Lord and further their ministries as well, Father. We just give you praise, glory, and honor in the name of Jesus for the opportunity to return back to you just that uh, portion of the God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I said uh, earlier also this morning that we will be having a communion service and uh, following the, this morning's sermon. So if you haven't uh, already done so, go ahead and get your uh, elements ready and, and have them ready to go when we do have our communion service. This morning, though, I want to minister as best as I can uh, the victory of Christ's resurrection and what that kind of means to you and I. And many of us already know that this is a time that we celebrate. Uh, it's not so commercial as maybe uh, uh, the other holidays, Christmas and, and different things, but uh, nevertheless there's a little bit of commerciality in, involved in this, but it, it's not done quite so heavily. And, and we know that we celebrate the, the resurrection of the Lord. And sometimes I think people think that that is nothing more than a fairy tale. It's probably, in my opinion, one of the hardest things that there is about the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can possibly believe in. It's kind of difficult. But, if you know God, you know everything is possible. And if it weren't for the resurrection of Jesus, this, this whole gospel wouldn't be complete. And so I just want to uh, share with you that truth for the time being. And if everybody has a Bible or their electronic device or whatever it might be, if you want to turn to Isaiah 25, verses 8 and 9, uh, I want to read to you from that passage quickly. And it's just... It, the, the opening statement is just so dramatic and it so blesses my heart. For those that are believers, if everyone is there, I'll begin to read 
Isaiah 25, 8 and 9. It says, He will destroy death forever. And if I were to interject something else into that, I would say He will destroy death and everything that's associated with death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and His people's disgrace from the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. This is something that you can count on. You can take it to the bank. You know that the Lord has spoken. Amen. Verse 9, on, on that day it will be said, Look, this is our Lord. We have waited for Him and He has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. Approximately 3,000 years ago, if my math is correct, uh, this prophecy was spoken by the prophet Isaiah and dispels the myth that death goes undefeated. And I'm sure some of you have heard that. Maybe you've even said that before yourself. Death goes undefeated. Someone else said at one time that death is batting a thousand. In other words, what they're saying, and I understand what they're getting at, is that none of us, Christians or people of the world or whatever, nobody is going to avoid passing away or dying. However, there are certain things that we need to understand that dying isn't the only thing that Jesus took care of. Because one of the things that we need to understand is that death seems so permanently uh, an end to all things. And that's simply not the case when it comes to the truth of the Word of God. I want you to understand as believers to know that these statements are only partially true in the sense that yes, no one can avoid dying, but what but I want us to understand if we're going to be brutally honest about things, we have to take into account what the Word of God really says on this matter. It's not just dying. The, the text we just read this morning indicates some key points for us to acknowledge in our understanding. Death for a believer. Now listen, this death for a believer is obviously not a permanent end that the enemy of our life would like for us to believe. How many know that the enemy of our lives, Satan, would love for us to believe that dying and, and death as we know it uh, is the, the final say and he has the final say and, and, and for all I know he doesn't care if we know about hell or heaven and as long as he can interrupt our thinking and our understanding and let us believe that there is no hope of eternity outside of a grave. In our text, we can safely assume by its prediction that this notion of a permanent end is actually being dispelled. The Bible says that he will destroy death forever. Who's he? We've got to believe that that's God. That's who we're talking about. It also says that God will wipe away the tears from all 
our faces. So it's very interesting to me that God takes a particular interest. Listen to what I'm saying here. God takes a particular interest in making a permanent, uh, in, in making death not a permanent thing. He's going to destroy and crush and obliterate its hold on the lives of his people. God takes a particular interest in our death and in death, and that's why he sent Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. As we all know, tears are often at times associated with uh, pain, suffering, hardship, anguish, whatever you want to call it, however you want to describe it, and whatever uh, phase of life you might be in right now. It, tears, but there are also tears of joy, and that's one thing that we need to express today in our celebration, that we have joy unspeakable and, un, and full of glory because of what Jesus has done for you and I. So oftentimes, though, we know that tears are associated with the, all the pain and the suffering. But the promise here in this particular verse that we've read that God has total control of all of that. God has total victory, and he intends on wiping away every remembrance. And I'm adding a word or two in there for myself, the way I understand it. He's intending to wipe away every remembrance of our heartache and every pain. He's intending to wipe it away forever. It's a promise that you and I can count on as believers, and it's also a joy for you and I to begin to celebrate, and a privilege as well that we can stand among those who have said, we have waited for him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. This is so good to understand. How many know we have to go through pain and suffering it's a part of heart of uh, aches and and all these kinds of uh, ill things that happen in this life uh, and as we journey along in life. It's also all those kinds of things are associated, in my opinion, with death. They, they bring grief. They bring heartache. They bring um, they bring about doubt. They bring about. Uh, uh, suffering and all kinds of things. You and I can boldly announce, though, that we are more than conquerors, the Bible says, because God has invited us to partake of His victory. And it's His victory over the enemy and our uh, enemy as well, and that is death and Satan. Death is a very formidable foe. And the question that comes to my mind is that how is he going to do this? How is uh, God going to do this? And if we aren't already familiar with it, God sent his only begotten son to do so, to deal with this thing. There's so many of God's people out there that are experiencing so many trials and so many heartache and so much pain and agony. So much of it has to do with the suffering in our souls and the wounds to our heart and emotions 
and they run very, very deep. So it's more than just the agony of our physical bodies. I know that there's some of us that are suffering with uh, different sicknesses and, and uh, diseases that cause pain and, and things. But there's also the, the spiritual side of things and, and our spirit is damaged, our soul is damaged because of death and the sin that is attached to it. So God intends on dealing with that, obliterating that, and taking care of that for us. Some examples that I uh, remember and I was thinking about as I was preparing for this is that some there's some friends of mine that I know personally uh, have recently in the, in the past year lost uh, uh, close family members. And right now I, I I've talked to them recently, fairly recently about that, you know, and, and they're really suffering. It's something that uh, the grieving process is just kind of hanging on there a little bit. They're believers and stuff, but sometimes those things hit us so unexpectedly, so powerfully that it rocks our uh, foundation. God wants to repair that for them. And the loss of close family members has to be the, probably the greatest pain, or at least uh, the top one or two, in my opinion, that will ever endure. And I know that is a fact for me. I lost a, a brother. It's been several years ago now. I think of them often. And uh, my mother, not so long ago. Uh, and those, they were both unexpected. And when they hit you, those kinds of things bring about pain and sorrow. They bring about, uh, they even bring about maybe a little bit of doubt in, in uh, terms of the fact that you were praying and believing for God and it just didn't happen for, for, uh, for God to touch these uh, family members. But sometimes it just doesn't happen that way. So, like I said, I've lost a mother and a, and a brother, and those things hurt so deeply. So Jesus came, and he took those sorrows with him. Some have suffered loss in other areas of life. There's great tragedies. Some have lost homes and properties and, and all of their possessions and everything. Um, their lives were just literally turned upside down for various reasons, and their homes, like I said, were destroyed. Think of someone who's lost not only one home, but two. By a tornado, and again by a fire, and then they've lost close family members as well. So their life has been filled with pain and sorrow, but they still love God, they still serve God, and it's because they have understood that God has come to destroy death in their life. This is a born-again believer I'm talking about here this morning. And I know another woman, she too is a believer. And I know I knew her several several years ago, who had seven children, and every one of them uh, died because and as a result of a fire in their home, and they just couldn't get up. Get out in time. 
She still loves the Lord. The last time I knew, and it's been, like I said, many years ago. So the misunderstanding that some people believe is that if we're a child of God, then somehow that makes us immune to trouble. If we are a child of God, and we think that way, we better get our thinking straight, because it's simply not the case. If things are going awesome for you, fantastic. I'm glad. I hope that it continues, and I pray that it continues. But I will assure you, in most cases, that we are not immune to trouble and trial and all kinds of suffering. And if you don't believe me, then let's take a look at a little bit at the Bible. Job was one who was known to be the most faithful and trustworthy of uh, God's people in the land. And if we look back into that passage in uh, Job early on, it talks about the fact that he lost his house, he lost his home and his property, he lost all of his livestock and all these kinds of things due to tornado, a tornado. And all those kinds of things were happening in his life. All his children died. His livestock was gone. He himself was suffering, Bible says, from boils. And he and I've had boils, folks. I know what that kind of pain is like. It hurts something awful. His body was entirely covered in them. And it was so much on his wife to see this and to view this. That his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? Death isn't the answer to everything except for the fact that Jesus came to die to do away with sin and death. So for a Christian, maybe you, maybe a person might say death would be an answer to that. But in this case, death was not the answer. His wife Kurt said to curse God and die. How many know that she died? Paul the Apostle had been shipwrecked numerous times, beaten numerous times. He suffered with very little to eat. He suffered with not having uh, a lot of means and a lot of money to take with him on uh, the various, various excursions that he went on and journeying. Listen, Paul at one time had to have had plenty of, of wealth. He was a Pharisee, the Bible says, among the Pharisees. But he, uh, what I'm trying to get across to you, because we are believers, because Paul probably wrote two-thirds of the New Testament that we study and research, didn't cause him to... Uh, uh, avoid or have immunity to suffering and trouble in this uh, broken life that we have and that we have to live. So another question arises: How are you? How are we to encourage people to be more than conquerors to this kind of havoc that we endure in our life and experiences? It's like offering them God's solution, something that I've been trying to uh, get across. Uh, subtly this morning. We offer the truth of the gospel. We announce to the broken hearted and the weary and the fearful 
that Jesus has endured all things and he's taken it to, to the grave. He absorbed all of it and he took it to the grave when he died on the cross. After he died on the cross. And he dumped it off at death's doorstep. And he left it there as an empty trash can and he filled it up with all of the garbage that we endure in this life and in our brokenness in this life. He himself conquering death, hell, and the grave. Listen. And bear in mind that Jesus suffered the most brutal of deaths. Jesus was not immune. Just because he was God doesn't mean he was immune. In fact, we all, or for the most part, I believe most everybody is aware, that's probably in the sound of my voice, maybe there's somebody that isn't, is aware of the fact that Jesus suffered and died on the cross. Listen to some of the things. He suffered at the hands of Herod and the temple police. If you didn't already know it, Jesus had to go before Herod and the temple police. There was a hundred of police or Roman guards, if you will. And they all lined up and they took one at a time and Spit. And when I say spit, it wasn't just a egg popped up saliva. And I don't mean for this to be uh, uh, comical or anything, but that, I'm telling you, they popped up saliva. They really worked it up and they splattered it in his face. One hundred of them in a row. So he had saliva dripping from the top of his head to the bottom of his beard. That's just one thing. Some of the humiliation and the embarrassment that he may have endured or must have endured. He was then blindfolded in those same 100 officers of Roman guard or the temple police who blindfolded him and these are big, strong, powerful men. Okay? They weren't, uh, well, I'm not going to get silly on you. They were big, strong, powerful men. And they were able to deliver a crushing blow when they doubled up their fists and they walked by one at a time and they punched, literally punched Jesus in the face. One hundred times, can you imagine? The Bible talks about that his form was like uh, he couldn't be recognized. I can't remember exactly how it's put there in Isaiah, but his form was so marred that he couldn't be recognized because of the uh, physical brutality to his face. He had his eyes were swollen. His nose was swelled up. His face was swelled up. He may have even had a loose tooth. His mouth was bleeding. All these kinds of things. And they're not done yet. The same 100 temple police lined up a third time. And with blindfolds on, they would smack him and torment him and mock him. And ask him to prophesy, who was it that just hit you? 
Who was it that just smacked you in the face? Then he was sent back to Pilate, where he was flogged and beaten with cat and eyes, 39 lashes that brutally ripped upon his flesh and opened up his flesh. You'd have to read and study, but cat and eyes, when you whipped it, it would literally wrap around the body of the victim and they would yank on it and all the bone and the glass and the pottery and, and all these other things that would literally grab hold of the flesh and it would just open up brutally damaging the body. He was betrayed by his own. He was falsely accused and convicted. Has anybody been betrayed by friends or family or anybody else for that matter? He was falsely accused and convicted. He was literally unjustly charged as a criminal and then finally brutally executed on a cruel cross, all for you and I. So what I'm saying is that he associated himself with all the sin and death had to offer and absorbed it into himself and he died in the eyes of some as a criminal. But in the eyes of God, he died as a sinless sacrifice. Folks, Jesus, from the, before the very beginning, saw all the possibilities of your hurt, your heartache, and, that would be, and anything that would be associated with death, and he became acquainted with it on his way to the cross, his journey to the cross, and all the way till. He breathed his last. He became acquainted with it and took it off. And he took all of it to the cross with him. Someone may be thinking right now that no one cares about me. No one cares that uh, they're hurting me. People are hurting me. I know there's a lot of abuse going on. Mental and physical, sexual abuse and all those kinds of things. I understand all of that's going on. And you might be saying, if you're hearing me today... No one cares about that. And no one cares about my loneliness. And I'm here to tell you that it isn't the truth. It simply is not the truth. Jesus cares like no other. He took the time and came out of eternity to come into our world to die on a cruel cross because he cared for you. He cares like no other. It was love and concern for you that he became intimately familiar with what it means to suffer in this life as a human being. Jesus wanted you to have a life with him for all of eternity. So he suffered and offered himself a sacrifice to conquer death and all that is associated with it so you can enjoy a joyful relationship with him for all eternity. Someone may be thinking like Martha in John chapter 11, that while we have uh, faith, and while Martha had faith, there still remains some doubt whether or not Jesus really cares about the situation that we're in. Some of us might be doubting that. I have been through that before gone through uh, lengthy struggles and, and trials in my heart and my spirit and all those kinds of things and I've wondered, 
God, do you really care? Are you really watching? Do you really know what's going on? And that's what Martha was doing when her brother Lazarus died. And she said in John chapter uh, 11, how many, I remember Martha was extremely brokenhearted now at the loss of Lazarus. And so you know the conversation probably, but here it goes. If you had just been here, Jesus, my brother wouldn't have died. So she cries out in desperation to Jesus. And she said, if you'd been here, Jesus, this wouldn't have happened. My brother wouldn't have died. Many of us have said that. Jesus, if you really cared, you wouldn't have let this happen to me. Jesus, in an attempt to console her and turn her thinking around, And let her know that all things were going to be well with her and all things are in his control said your brother will rise again and Martha said Jesus I know on the last day he's going to resurrect and he's going to be that's not what I'm talking about Jesus basically is saying Martha responded in her lack of understanding. I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at that day, at that last day. And most of us have, obviously, uh, many people that I've talked to anyway, uh, have no trouble believing that at some point in time we're going to go and be with God in heaven forever, some future date. But like Martha, many of us, in our disappointments and our heartaches are blinded to God's omniscience, His love, and His concern for the current situation that we're in. We often don't think about the fact that He is all-powerful and has conquered death and everything associated with it, so therefore we suffer needlessly the hardships of this life, and oftentimes we do it alone. I think there's a song about that. Oh, what needless pain we bear if we don't, if we don't offer things to God in prayer. Jesus told Martha in verse 25 of John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the epitome of the resurrection. He is the, the epitome of what life is all about. A life eternal. So often we don't recognize that fact when we're faced with our troubles and trials and, and all these kinds of things and all of our sorrows. So how do we know he's there to help in my time of need, Pastor? How do we know that? I'm really tore up over this thing. This is really eating me alive. Some people have got uh, family members that are sick, and some people have uh, lost all of their financial uh, abilities to pay for uh, whatever the case might be, and they're losing everything. Some of us are uh, having a problem with uh, our physical health. How do I really know he really cares? It's because we need a revelation of the fact 
that he's right now, at this present time, the resurrection and the life. And the proof is that he was seen by Mary Magdalene and his own mother Mary at the empty tomb. He was also seen by his disciples. He passed through the wall and entered into the room that they were hidden out from, from uh, the Roman guard. You'll remember also that Thomas, known as Doubting Thomas, was truly doubtful when he was informed by uh, the other disciples that Jesus had risen from the dead. And he said, unless I can put my finger in the nail prints on his hands, and unless I can run my, or thrust my hand into his side, I shall not believe. And before we give Thomas too much flack for that doubt, and being doubtful, remember all of the disciples when Jesus had, uh, walked through the wall, that had to blow their mind. He walked through the wall and astounded them. And they were a little bit shaken by that, I'm sure. They had a little bit of doubt. And Jesus said, go ahead. It's me. Handle me. See if it's not me. See if it's not my body. So let's not give Thomas too much flack for being doubtful because I'm sure that the disciples, the other disciples, were a little bit doubtful until they actually saw him and were able to handle him. And in the 40 days after his resurrection, prior to his ascension, he was also seen by another 500 people that could attest and confirm that he indeed had risen from the dead. The point I'm trying to make is that we tend to look at death as a permanent end to everything. And with Jesus, that isn't the case. He died a cruel death, yes. And went to the clutches of death, yes. But death had no hold on him because he was a pure sacrifice. There were no teeth there, you might say, to hold him. And he literally walked out of the clutches of death victorious. Death was unable to keep him prisoner. It says in Acts 2, 24, God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Death had no legal right to him because he was sinless. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 54-57, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? And the death and the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Jesus was sinless, so the law could not hold him accountable. But thanks be to God, verse 57, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has put everything under his feet through the blood, the shed blood of Jesus, the dying on the cross, and it was finalized when Jesus resurrected and then eventually ascended on into heaven. And he cares so much that he invited you and I to share in that victory. You and I have indestructible life. Listen to that. We have indestructible life. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That is life that is indestructible. Life, you and I have indestructible life. 
imparted to us because we believe. Jesus became the high priest of our lives based on the power of his indestructible life. Death could not destroy him because he was indestructible. Life originated in him and continues in him. Hebrews 7, verses 16 through 17 says, Who did not become a priest based on legal regulation, but physical did Excuse me. Who did not become a priest based on legal regulation about physical descent, but based on power of an indestructible life. In other words, he didn't become the high priest of our lives because of the fact that he came out of the tribe of Judah. But he, because he could not be destroyed and he was indestructible, death could not hold him. That's how he became the high priest of our life. And what we need to understand is that we don't have to wait to die and go to heaven to enjoy it. You can experience his resurrection right now. Sometimes, sometimes, however, it's just not enough to hear about that. It may not be enough to hear me preach to you. It may not be enough for you to read this book or that book or even the Bible. It may not be enough to hear from his word what God can do and what he's done for others. Sometimes you just have to experience his resurrection power for yourself. And that's where we've all got to come to a place in our life is that we need to experience the power of the resurrection in our lives. That's what Martha had to have had to have happen to her. In John eleven forty three, when Jesus shouted down into the tomb where Lazarus was buried, Lazarus, come forth. And he came out still wrapped in his grave clothes. And Jesus said to those that were uh, standing there, and wrap him and let him go. We have to be a participant in, in all this. Jesus wants to operate with his rest, resurrection power in us and for us. So whatever it is that you feel uh, has reached a permanent end, permanent end or has reached that stage of death where there's no, nothing uh, going to come out of it, uh, it's just not going to turn around. Whatever it is that you feel has reached a permanent end, whatever has died or is dying in your life, Jesus can call life to it. He can restore broken dreams. And he can heal a broken heart and any number of things that has disappointed you. He can bring it back to life. We need to pray in our, with our heart of desperation and our disappointment. We need to call on him and he'll meet you there. No one will be able then to tell you when he meets you and does this thing for you. No one's going to be able to tell you that God doesn't care for you, nor that he isn't real in your life. And that's what I wanted to share with you this morning. He longs for you to taste in closing, he longs for you to taste and see that he is good. So what I want to uh, 
So uh, we have just a few minutes here left that we haven't uh, used. And I'd like to take this time if uh, Bryson would come up and help me. Uh, I have a hard time bending over that far. But we have that communion elements, and I want to sh share a little bit with you there, and then and, and we'll uh, close our service. Bryson and them are going to help us. And so, in uh, the book of Corinthians, that uh, where did uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how that's put? Where do uh, discern, if I remember right, the Lord's body when we partake of the communion elements? We're were to discern of the Lord's body. And so many times when we do communion service, and there's nothing wrong with this, but so many times when we do that, we're, uh, communion service, we're so focused on the shed blood, the remission of our sin, and that is so true. It is true. But before that, Jesus wanted us to discern his body. And what does that mean? And in light of what we were talking about here this morning, you what I believe that means. It's more than, because sometimes it gets taught that uh, we can't take partake of communion service and the, the elements if we're still in sin. And there's some truth to that, I believe. And it's taught uh, with the right intent. Because we should have our hearts right. And we should go to the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive us of our sin. But to rightfully discern the Lord's body I think encompasses even more than that. <clears throat> because like I said before, we suffer in this life. We're not immune to it. We've been beaten up physically. We've been beaten up spiritually. We've been beaten up emotionally. And Jesus went to the cross and he bore that burden on his body and in his body. And there wasn't anything that he, that you experienced that he hadn't experienced as well. How many remember I said that he intimately became acquainted with your pain and your suffering. So when we partake of the elements, yes, let's rightfully discern what it means to take the cup. And it's for the remission of our sin. And we talked extensively, or a lot more extensively, uh, the last few weeks about the blood of Jesus, which it symbolizes. But let's also discern what the body, rightfully uh, discerning what the body is, because his body was broken for you and I, so that we might be made whole. And that's what I want you to have in mind this morning when you come to take of the cup and the, the bread, and, and we experience those elements, and, and we look to God for our uh, total healing and total victory over death, hell, and the grave. Because he, he took all of those things with him and dumped them off, and they're all dealt with now. So we can obviously look into that, the stripes on his back, the Bible says that if, if we proclaim 
that the stripes on his back were for our healing, then we could be healed. And those kinds of things, and the emotions that he uh, dealt with, that he took into his heart and spirit, and all the sin that he took into himself, we can be healed of all that. So, uh, with that in mind, I want to uh, say to you, that it was the same night in which he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot. They took the bread and he broke it. He prayed and he broke it and uh, gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat and do this as often as you do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to partake together. And also the same night he took the cup And he said, drink, and drinking all of it, for it is for the remission of our sin that we partake of these things. And we're to identify with all of that, because he came and identified with you and I for our suffering. So with that, let's partake of the elements this morning, and uh, thank God, thank Jesus, for all that he's done for us. Amen. And now the cup. Well, I hope that ministered to someone this morning. I really feel that God wanted me to share with you the victory that came out of the resurrection for you and I. And so with that in mind, I want to pray this morning and we'll close and... Uh, You'll be uh, released to enjoy your Easter. And I know that it's hard to uh, go be with your family since uh, we're not supposed to really uh, be doing that right now. But uh, you can pray for them and you can contact them and in different ways and stuff. So please avail yourself to do that. And, but enjoy one another's company right there at home. Enjoy the presence of the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you much thanks and we, uh, we say we love you and we rejoice in all the things that you provided for us through the completed work of the cross. I know I've used that term. I'll probably continue to use that term for a long time. That completed work of the cross. I thank you that it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that put the exclamation point on everything that you've done for us. And uh, there was no job or tittle in the Word of God that was omitted, Father, from that. And we just praise you for it. And I thank you right now for what you're doing for people uh, today, touching their hearts, touching their lives, and I just pray for resurrection power in their lives, even now. Whatever that is that might be dying in their life, Father God, raise it up. Speak to what I pray, Lord. And we give you much thanks and glory and honor for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.